Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. You know, I took my podcast pack with me on the last trip that we just returned from a couple of days ago. Probably eight or nine pounds worth of equipment and a carrying case, microphones, all the shit I needed to record a podcast, and I did not. So, of course, at the very last minute, we're beyond the last minute, so I don't even know if you're going to hear this episode this week. The reason I never got to recording podcasts is because I was too caught up in life. My husband and I, my dominant and I, my owner and I, because that's all the same person, were on a trip. The first part of the trip was an add-on to the second part of the trip, which was originally the first part of the trip, and that was to go out to California for the premiere of the independent movie that has been made of my solo performance for storyteller and orchestra. It's called Hyena, and it is about my alcoholism and about my getting sober, and we were fortunate enough, long story short, another episode, to be able to make it into a film, and it was premiering out in California, and so we were going out for that. But of course, because God forbid I should have anything that centers on me solely, we had to add on a freaky sex party to that. And a dear and wonderful friend of mine who is far more adept at organizing events helped to organize it and get people together to meet up with us. We went to the house for 10 people. It was really beautiful. We were up in Guerneville. The problems came and arose when the anxiety against which my beloved owner struggles came to the fore at the beginning of the trip. At first it was anxiety about career, then it was anxiety about work, then it was anxiety about the event itself, because of course it never ever can live up to what he has built up in his head over the years as to what a sex party should look like. See, the problem with organizing an orgy is that maybe you don't want to orge by the time the event actually happens. So you really have to go into these sorts of events with a hopeful positivity and also a willingness to let go of your expectations. And, well, he's just not really great at that last part. And so oftentimes what happens is he gets really caught up in the desire for this fantasy. And perhaps the fantasy is completely right-sized and not outrageous, but the fantasy doesn't take into account the reality of human beings. And as it happened for all of these folks, it was the first time they had been at an event in a couple of years. 
And the thing is, what people prioritize, even horny perverts, when they haven't been around other people for a long time, is touch and connection and just sharing a meal. I feel like the sexiest part of that overnight visit was us hanging out and just eating dessert together. And don't get me wrong, he actually did manage to have an amazing scene with another dear friend of mine. You see, he'd never ever bottomed in rope and wanted to see what that felt like, which is a good thing for tops and dominance to do. I absolutely believe that doing some bottoming is really helpful for the mindset. So if you are a kinky person and you think you're a top or a dominant, bottom occasionally. It doesn't have to be intense pain. It doesn't have to be some serious hardcore thing. Especially if you're not a masochist, then the experience is not going to be helpful for you. But a sensual scene in which you give up your power to someone else and see what that feels like for just a few minutes can really help to illuminate what your partners are experiencing and give you a little bit of uh, additional empathy, I think. So I was really glad to support him in that. But the problems arose immediately, of course, because originally we had planned and chatted about my, you know, co-topping with someone. But then the scene just seemed to be so quiet and so internal and so sensual that I made the call that while I would watch the scene for a bit, I was just going to hang back. And apparently that's not what he wanted. But he failed to communicate that to the person he was playing with and then went on his own internal journey that became a bit dark. And so then I had to help to dig him out of that emotional hole. A lot of my relationship to him, a lot of my service to my owner and dominant is about helping him live his best life. And a lot of times what that looks like is digging him out of holes <laughs> and helping him to see that he can dig himself out. He has a serious series of diagnoses and those can make life really difficult. I'm Mrs. House the Fourth, so there have been three other marriages beyond which he had to move in order to find me and in order for us to find one another. And yeah, there's some wreckage there. And some of that wreckage carried forward like items carried on a tsunami across oceans and then it washes up on your shore and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> how did this how did all this detritus cross an entire ocean and wind up on my shores? Well that's how life works. And so quite often I'm spending my time hoping and praying that he can learn that he actually is not irretrievably broken. And we've made a great deal of progress on that, but it's hard. And progress is not fucking linear, okay? Progress is not like, I've learned this lesson and now I'm never gonna go back and repeat it and I'm fine and moving forward. Unless you're me, of course, because I learned that way. <laughs> In fact, I'm one of the few people I know who actually listens to the good advice, which is part of the reason why I have a no advice, please, no unsolicited rule on my social medias, because I don't need to hear the noise. I don't need to hear it because the people from whom I receive my advice are people who I trust. And it has to be many levels of trust. But anyway, <laughs> The reality is that it can sometimes seem and people often assume that I am the dominant party in the relationship because I'm running things, whereas my running things is a service to someone who needs to have the way clear for them. He really needs to have the smaller issues in life minimized so that he can focus on his work. My helping to take care of those means that my life is improved and uplifted because he is clear to focus on his work and on our work. 
because so often and more often his work is becoming my work. We've collaborated on a libretto for an opera. We're, we've collaborated on a piece that I'm performing in this fall. And it's just been so amazing and so wonderful and really fucking difficult. Because when someone has diagnoses of anxiety disorder or stress disorder or any of these things, PTSD, oh my gosh, it's a lot. It's so much to handle. And what's really interesting is that a lot of people see our relationship and see it up close, right? See it when it's messy and gross and, and really tough and just look at me and go, I don't know if I could deal with that. And some days I don't know how I deal with it either, but love and truly seeing and understanding and embracing who your partner is permits you to stand in front of them in their darkest moments with love and to see that this is a person struggling, not someone trying to hurt you, not someone trying to drag you down deliberately and harm you. It's someone who's in a desperate moment of struggle. And so when we got off of the plane, a very calm and lovely flight, and we were about to go and pick up our rental car in California, and he turned to me and said, I'm in a bad place. I was both really sad to hear that, very apprehensive to hear that, but also braced for it and ready. After years of us being together, I know that by the time he gets to the point where he can actually say, I'm upset, he's been through so much already and it's time to process. Now, one of the worst things you can say to me is, I have to talk to you later. Because all that happens is now my entire life is focused on this pending conversation. And so I'm like, no, we're going to talk about it right fucking now. And in the case of a DS relationship, it might seem as if it is not helpful or even submissive for me to say, you know what? No, we're going to talk about this right now. But submission sometimes does not look like obedience. Those are two different concepts. Okay. And it's important to understand that sometimes as a bottom, as a submissive, as a slave, as someone who is owned, it's my job to take the deep breath and push back. The way that happens is through trust. He has to trust that. When I do push back, it is not just disobedience and orneriness and brattiness. It's actually me seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing it is not an oncoming train and being able to walk with him and sometimes pull him along. He identifies me as his dominant slave. And I think that's the best label ever. Because in reality, it takes a lot of spine for me to serve this guy. Because he's a handful. There's a lot happening every fucking day. And what's interesting is that it doesn't feel to me like work that I'm doing on behalf of someone else. It feels like a necessity in order for our lives to flourish. And I'm honored to do it, even though I'm tired as hell. So exhausted. <laughs> I'm one of these people who was a late comer to TikTok because I thought it was just some sort of floofy, silly app with a bunch of white kids dancing around and getting millions of views for absolutely nothing interesting. And then my friend Sunny Megatron was like, girl, no, you got to get on there. There's so many people 
giving out, dispelling misinformation, just bad intel on kink and BDSM. And I'm like, oh, dear. OK, let me get in here and, and try to put in my two cents. One of the questions I get asked quite a bit on TikTok is, how is it that you as a submissive with so much more experience than your dominant or with someone who you're supposed to be in service to, who you're supposed to be submissive to, but you have more experience than, and, and they need to learn and you need to help them learn. And I'll tell you, it is one of the most difficult things you can do. And it is also one of the most rewarding things that you can do. When I first came into the scene, everyone had more experience than me, everybody. <laughs> because anyone who comes in, even walks in the door in front of you now has that much more experience, right? But it doesn't take long for you to realize that other people might have more experience in the kink scene, but you might have more experience in life. Your emotional intelligence may be light years ahead of folks who've been doing this shit for decades. And that's part of the reason I found myself within a year of being involved in the scene, already teaching and, and lecturing and sharing my experience and my take on submission because I was able to communicate that in a way that was helpful to other people. And I learned so much from the first few people to whom I submitted. And what that taught me was what the dominant I needed in my life looked like. And oftentimes that's thrown into the light because of the shadow, because of the shadows cast by the relationships that maybe didn't work out so well. I always thought, okay, you know what? I'm not polyamorous, but if I'm casually dating someone and then I'm able to casually date other people and they're casually dating other people, that could work out, right? That'd be okay. And when I discovered that in a kinky relationship, in some ways that is okay. As long as my place, my service, what I'm bringing to the table is not duplicated or I'm placed in a situation where I'm kind of battling other people for someone's attention, that does not work well for me. But the last relationship I had prior to being with my current owner, I was the only person who identified as a slave in his inner circle of relationships. He had his wife, his primary partner, who did not identify as a slave. He had a girlfriend who was his lover and, you know, she wasn't really identifying as a slave either, of course, until she saw our relationship and then suddenly was like, wait a second, that's what I want too which is always a risk in poly relationships. People shift and people change and the the situation into which you entered is almost never going to be the situation down the road. And sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the more complicated. To my life, I've always found it's always moving towards the more complicated. And that's one of the reasons that poly doesn't work for me. But what was so fascinating is that I surprised myself a bit in that I found a way for poly really to work out until it didn't, but that's okay. And so I, I realize and I understand and I see that people change and grow and what I was able to do with all of the lessons and all of the experience that I gained from the other people to whom I submitted was to carry those forward and to say to my current owner, hey, here's what has worked in the past and here's what really hasn't. What of these things are appealing to you? My first relationship was very high protocol. It was okay. I didn't mind it, but it didn't really feed me. And I was really relieved and grateful when 
my current owner said, no, I don't really need all of those things. I don't need you to say particular things. I don't need you to go and kneel over here. I just need you to be mine. And so that clarity, that simplicity really worked for me. Now, if I were someone who were very high protocol and wanted all of those rules and regulations and, and, and formalities, then he wouldn't have been a good match for me. Not that he wouldn't have been a good dominant and a loving and caring owner, but it's just not a good match. And so I was super gratified to meet someone who was so open to learning and who didn't have the arrogance to assume that as the dominant, he had nothing to learn. And so one of the things I respond to when people are like, how do you teach someone from the bottom? I say, you live your life. You live your life. You make the mistakes because the reality is we all have to learn the overwhelming majority of us do not grow up in households where there are power exchange dynamics openly and consensually in place. Now, non-consensually, abso-fucking-lutely, all the goddamn time. But a negotiated consensual power dynamic is rare for people to grow up seeing. Usually it's shit that has to do with cultural norms and all this other, uh, in my opinion, garbage. I just want people to be able to choose what's best for them without it being imposed upon them. That's the, that's the hill upon which I will die. And it's fascinating because when you go into a relationship with the beginner's mindset saying that, you know what, I may have 20, 25, 30 years of experience, but I don't have that experience in this relationship with this person. And so you're starting from the beginning again with every relationship. And so despite the fact that I had all this decades of experience, it didn't matter because what I needed to do was to take that experience and holistically blend it into where I was now, where he was now, and see what would shake out. And what shook out is that I needed to be really incredibly fiercely strong and defensive of our relationship, sometimes in the face of his own demons. Yeah. His own demons are very loud. When you are an abused child, your self-esteem takes hits that may never ever fully recover, may never recover from those. And so often I believe that we are taught that we have to cure and fix and save. So much of self-help is about moving beyond or moving past. And what I hope for is that people can see that yes, moving beyond a, a hole into which you dug yourself is important, but it doesn't mean you leave behind the lessons you learned in that hole. It doesn't mean that you that clawed and scrambled its way out is to be rejected. And there are some things that are not quote unquote fixable. There's some damage that's important. The fact of the matter is I was a very precocious child. I had to raise myself and I saw at a very young age, that the adults around me had no goddamn idea what they were doing. And that in most cases, I was more logical, more reasonable, more rational, and more intelligent than a great many of them. Which is frustrating when you're four, or five, or six, because you don't have the power and so brilliance combined with powerlessness can cause an incredibly frustrating blend. And that's my childhood. <laughs> On the upside, it was not filled with a great deal of physical and emotional abuse. 
as was the childhood of my partner. And so the strength and the resiliency that he developed helped him to survive unbelievably ugly and brutal circumstances. And they left him with a hill to climb, which is loving himself and seeing that he is worthy of love. And any of you who have struggled with a partner who sees himself as unworthy and unlovable know the pain. Holy shit, it's difficult. I mean, and this is coming from an alcoholic, mind you, right? I'm a fucking mess. I'm not looking over there going, woo, you're a mess, and not looking at my own shit, because I really am. And I have fought with my own demons and my own addiction to get to the point where I can say, holy shit, I'm amazing, and not only worthy of love, but worthy of love regardless. It doesn't matter what I do. If I'm just sitting here looking out the window, picking my nose, I am worthy of love. If I'm on stage in front of hundreds of people having just wowed the crowd, yes, I'm worthy of love then too. But I'm also worthy of love when I am laying in bed with the covers over my head because it is just too overwhelming to get up and unpack that suitcase, rearrange everything, and then repack it for the next trip. So after our flight to California, we got off the plane and my beloved said he was in a bad mood. He was in a bad place. He was very upset. And rather than try to carry on the afternoon with that cloud hanging over the head, I stopped, put down all of our luggage and we hashed it out right there in front of the SFO rental car desks. It was about 45 minutes. It was very dark conversation, some of it. And I could not let us go on until we were able to make true eye contact and true heart connection and truly say, I see you, it's okay, I love you, we're gonna be fine. I had to do that, of course, three more times over the next seven days. And by that, I mean have these deep, heavy, lifting conversations. It's not my favorite thing to do. I'll be fucking honest. I find myself so drained and so exhausted and so fulfilled and so honored that we have gotten to the point where we can actually have those conversations. Because let me tell you, cisgender men are not raised to share their feelings. The damage that toxic masculine culture does to men is shocking. And I mean, this guy, the fact that he has gone from locked up and completely unable to even share to being able to say in real time where he is and what he's feeling is nothing short of a miracle. I'm going to take a lot of credit for that because my remaining present and open and not taking his shit personally is how we fucking got to this point. And so if you are in a kink or DS relationship, you know what, this shit applies to all relationships. If you're in a relationship with someone and they have psychological, emotional issues that are really seeming like they're damaging to you, absolutely get a therapist, absolutely have someone to talk to because you're going to need that. You need that backup so that you don't feel like you're the one who's sinking alongside them. Because of the way my brain works and because of the way my spirit works and because of the way my heart works, I'm able to see the path ahead very clearly. Sometimes I see the path ahead for minutes at a time. 
Sometimes it's for years at a time. Sometimes I can follow a logical thread of potential through moment to moment and see my way out of a situation because I know what's best, because I see the future, the potential future. I don't know. Whatever the fuck it is, when I'm in these dark moments, there's a bright thread that's glowing and leading us back out of the woods, out of the hole, out of the dark. And it's a thread that I weave from my own heart and with my firm belief in my love for him and ultimately his love for me. And so, yes, as a dominant slave, sometimes I have to be the one to pull and drag my owner out. And that's what I've been hired to do by him, by my higher power, by the universe, by whatever you believe in fate, God, and I wouldn't change it for anything. This journey, what I, what I learn every day with him, the patience and the acceptance and being able to see someone in the throes of their most painful moment and just love them. God, do you know how amazing that is? And I, deeply feel for myself that if I were not in a constrained relationship, I would never get to that point. Cause you know what the fuck I would do? I would fuck out. I'd be like, you know what? Thank you. Good night, my friend. I'm out of here. I'm not here for this. I'm not trying to be with you. Well, you f fuck that. I would not take the punches to the nose as someone's flailing around in their own pain. But what my submission has given me is the capacity to take a deep breath and say, this is for the greater good of my owner, myself, and our relationship, which I see as a larger and greater and more beautiful and more magnificent fusion of our energies, to borrow a term from Steven Universe, which if you have not seen that cartoon, fucking watch that right now. Steven Universe, go look for it. It's on several streaming platforms. <laughs> but what's amazing to me the most is that I don't hold these painful moments to my heart. Mind you, I am a grudge-holding bitch. There is shit that people did to me in second grade that on the regular comes back and I'm like, God damn it. God damn it, Anthony Johnson. <laughs> that one time he squashed me against the desk and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> Still pissed off about that. And his jerk ass dad, oh my God. This little boy in my elementary school and his dad was like a famous anchor on, I think, Channel 4 News, John Johnson, and his son was a little prick. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> the amazing amount of conscious grace that I earn from my submission is invaluable. And it is real. Because if I, a spiteful fucking cranky bitch, can look someone in the eye after they have just thrashed around and said some fucked up shit to me and say, I can see and hear that you're really in pain. Let's take a deep breath and try to refocus and get through this. Holy shit. That's amazing. I'm fucking amazing. <laughs> and this is one of the gifts that I have gathered from my submission is being able to be present, not take shit personally and move through to the ultimate goal, which is both of us knowing and seeing the love and appreciation 
that we have for one another, the synergy. Oh my gosh, I, it's so real, it's so important. The submissive that I was with my first three, the first three people to whom I submitted and the submissive I am today are light years apart and incredibly powerful and to the point where I am sometimes in awe of my own ability and capacity to cope with deeply stressful situations. It's fucking beautiful. That is one of the main things that I get from a structured power dynamic is the ability for me to stretch and grow and to see how much bigger than anything I'd anticipated I have become. Holy shit, it's fucking dope. Even if you're not in a power exchange dynamic and you can look at your partner and say, how can I serve them in a way that also serves me? Because serving people and helping people and doing for people and loving them from that is a universal truth. It's something that uplifts us. It's one of the reasons that helping other people is something that crosses all religious and cultural boundaries. There's room in every culture for that, for the selfless love of others. And it took power exchange for me to find it. Other people find it in different ways. But when you do find it, when you are able to look with love into the pained and scared and troubled eyes of someone else and truly be present for them, you will find within yourself this boundless well of energy, strength, and love that pours out and reflects all over everyone else in the world. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. And I really wish that for everyone. <laughs> and I wish that the espresso machine had not done its power down cycle right now. But you know what? I'm not actually sad. <laughs> because if there's anything that represents my service, it is this espresso machine that also keeps my beloved husband alive and composing. So thank you. Thank you, Jora Espresso Machine for helping me to end my podcast. I love you and you are precious and rare and gorgeous and unique. And awesome. And sexy. <laughs> Did I mention sexy? Cause you're also sexy. <laughs> You've been listening to all that and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm -hmm.